but um, we'll see. Three psychiatrists agree <clears throat> that people always come to them with their problems, but they have no one to go to with theirs. So they decide to listen to one another's deepest, darkest secrets. The first confesses, I am a compulsive shopper, deeply in death. So I always overbill my patients. So be careful when you go to the psychiatrist. The second admits, I have a drug problem, and I pressure my patients into buying drugs for me. The third says, I know it's wrong, but no matter how hard I try, I just can't keep a secret. <clears throat> so be careful what you say and to whom you say it. But you know, God wants us to love him, to serve him, and to follow him. Bow your heads with me, please. Be with us, Lord, as we commence our service today. Help us with the issues in our lives. Keep us steady and unwavering, no matter what, and thanks. There was a lion who feared nothing except the crowing of cocks. A chill would go down his spine whenever he heard a cock crowing. One day he confessed his fear to the elephant, who was greatly amused. How can the crowing of a cock hurt you? He asked the lion. Think about it. Just then a mosquito began circling the elephant's head, frightening him out of his wits. If it gets into my ear, he says, I'm, I'm doomed. And he shrieked. Flailing at the insect with his trunk. Now it was the lion's turn to feel amused. The moral of this little story is, if we could see our affairs as others see them, we would realize that most of our affairs make no sense at all. You know, it's been said that everybody is afraid of something, whether it be heights, spiders, or snakes. What's your fear? Mine is flying. Now that's silly, isn't it? I mean, so many of us fly, so why should I be afraid of flying? But I kind of always have been. And I know all of us have something to be afraid of. You know, if you Google phobias, you'll see that people can be afraid of just about anything. We have Halloween coming up. The scare the bejeepers out of people's holiday. You know, although these pranks are done in good fun, being afraid is not so much fun at all. And when that fear debilitates us, especially spiritually, it's not healthy. Phobias are one of the most common mental illnesses in the U.S. So what are we afraid of? You know, there are so many things we can be afraid of. We can be afraid of failure. 
or defeat. Fear of mental breakdown, depression. Fear of being alone, disconnection. Fear of serious illness, disease. Fear of dying, death. Fear of God, deity. Fear of natural calamity, which would be a disaster. Fear of financial collapse or death. Fear of rejection or disapproval. And fear of sudden trouble, danger. But mostly, we are afraid of people. We're afraid of each other. We are typically afraid of others who intimidate us by their size or power or by the authority they wield. But it's especially concerning when that intimidation causes us to be quiet about our faith. Matthew 10, 26 to 33 explains all that to us. We are not to be afraid of people who persecute us or are a threat to our safety. Jesus says, do not allow fear to silence you. Be bold and shout it from the rooftops. In this passage, Jesus tells us not to be afraid. Then he tells us who really holds the ultimate power, and it's not man, but God. Then he gives us reasons why we don't have to be afraid. Why we don't have to worry. He assures us that although God has the power over body and soul, we are very valuable to him and he is watching over us. However, Jesus also tells us that if we want to disbelieve the truth about God's love and protection and instead live in fear, our silence would be our undoing. Another thing we are afraid of is loss. These leaders in John 12, 42 to 43, and I won't read that whole thing, believed in Jesus, but they were afraid. If they confessed their faith in Christ, they would be put out of the synagogue. And this was a legitimate fear because the Pharisees had said that anyone who professed faith in Jesus would be put out of the synagogue, and they had the power to do it. So it wasn't an empty threat, and that was too much for them to risk losing. If they were to be put out of the synagogue, they would, leave, they would lose their leadership status. They would lose their prominence in the public square. What's worse is not only would they go from being a prominent figure to an average commoner, they would actually be worse than a commoner. They would be an outcast. To be put out of the synagogue was a big deal. You could be shunned by society. You would be viewed as a, a degenerate. These guys were afraid to lose all that. They would rather have people praising them than God. They choose the things of the world rather than the things of God. They really chose death over life. What are we afraid to lose? 
What are we afraid to give up? What are we afraid to let go of that is standing in the way of us embracing Jesus? You know, another thing we are afraid of is evil. In some sense, we should be. There should be a healthy respect for the power of evil. It's not a game or something to dabble in. Ouija boards by Milton Bradley. However, we can be too afraid of it, to the point where, especially in the case of temptation, we cave in to the pressure of it and act as if we have no power to resist it. A lot of the power evil has is in our willingness to feed it. In our willingness to believe its lies that persuade me I have no power. With the power of the Holy Spirit, we are no longer slaves of fear. And there's one big thing that we also are afraid of. It's the unknown. This is a big one for us. We fear questionable outcomes. We worry about uncertainties. Worry is the monster whose name tag reads, what if? The reality of not knowing what's going to happen to us can haunt and plague us into anxiety, stress, and fear, which results in sleepless nights, addictions, and in some cases, death. Sometimes we are so caught up in anxiety and paranoia that we are afraid when there's no reason to be. We'll make a threat where there is none. There, there they were, overwhelmed with dread, where there was nothing to dread. People can get caught up in fear and direct their lives by this unnecessary fear. Their fears are, only, their fears are real only in their minds and nowhere else. Here is where I make unrealistic fear real. I make untrue fears true. This is the result of allowing fear to rule my life. So how do we overcome that? We are to be courageous. When Moses was passing the torch to Joshua and calling upon him to lead the Israelites into the promised land, he gave his people this message in Deuteronomy. Moving the Israelites into the promised land without their leader, Moses was a scary situation. God knew they needed courage in order to overcome their fears. So he encouraged them by assuring that he would be with them every step of the way. It's no different for us today. Eddie Rickenbacker once said, Courage is doing what you are afraid to do. It's no different for us today. We're probably not going to live a life absent from fear. How we react to fearful situations is what matters. We are not brave until we are first afraid. Cradles of Eminence is a book which produced a revealing study involving 413 famous and exceptionally gifted people who have helped change the world. 
The author spent years attempting to understand what produced such greatness. To, to find a common thread that ran through all of these outstanding lives. Surprisingly, the most outstanding fact was that virtually all of them had to overcome the personal fears associated with great suffering or failure in order to become who they were. You know, there is a story about a wealthy man who decided to go on a safari in Africa. He took his faithful pet dog, Dashun, along for company. One day, the Dashun starts chasing butterflies, and before long, the Dashun discovered that he is lost. So, wandering about, he notices, he notices a leopard heading rapidly in his direction with the obvious intention of having him for lunch. The Dashan thinks, okay, I'm in deep trouble now. Then he noticed some bones on the ground close by and immediately settles down to chew on the bones with his back to the approaching cat. Just as the leopard is about to leap, the Dashan explains loudly, Boy, that was one delicious leopard. I wonder if there are any more around here. Hearing this, the leopard halts his attack in mid-stride. As a look of terror comes over him and slinks away into the trees. Phew, says the leopard, that was close. That dashan nearly had me for lunch. Meanwhile, a monkey who had been watching the whole scene from a nearby tree figures he can put this knowledge to good use and trade it for protection from the leopard. So off he goes. But the Dashan sees him heading after the leopard with great speed and figured that something must be up. The monkey soon catches up with the leopard spills the beans, and strikes a deal for himself with the leopard. The leopard is furious at being made a fool of and says, Hey, monkey, hop on my back and see what's going to happen to that conniving canine. Now the Dashan sees the leopard coming with the monkey on his back and thinks, What am I going to do now? But instead of running, the dog sits down with his back to his attackers, pretending he hadn't seen them yet. And just when they get close enough to hear, the Dashan says, where's that two-faced monkey? Sent him, sent him off half an hour ago to bring on me another leopard. You know, in this world, humans are not the only ones who are afraid or fearful. There was a time, way back when, when even the angels, our angels, were confused and afraid. So what does it take to impress an angel? 
There's not much angels haven't seen, after all. They had a front row seat at creation. They have seen God make a donkey talk. They filled the heavens with praise at the birth of the baby Jesus and rolled the stone away from Jesus' tomb. The Apostle Peter tells us there is one thing, however, that still blows the angels' minds, one thing that leaves them in hushed silence. God's love for the rebellious human race. That is the one thing that blew the angels' minds. God's love for the rebellious human race. Scripture teaches us the love of God with stories that scandalize us. There's one more that seems to have left even the angels speechless and afraid. It occurs in Mark's gospel, and I think it's the most mysterious passage in all of scripture, Mark recounts Jesus' final private moment with his father before his death. It's the kind of passage I like to approach on my knees. After Judas left to betray Jesus, Jesus retreated to a favorite spot, the Garden of Gethsemane, to spend time alone with his father before the cross. Instead of finding solace, however, Mark tells us he was overcome with horror. Scholars say that the word Mark used to describe Jesus' feelings in that moment indicates the kind of feeling you'd have if you encountered something so terrible you couldn't describe it in words. Like coming home one evening to find your family mutilated. The emotion that Jesus experienced was so overpowering. Who is not one prone to exaggeration said he almost died from what he experienced. Hearing nothing from his father, Jesus stumbled back to his disciples and asked them to stay awake with him. Mark 14, 37. This is Jesus, the one who commanded the wind and the waves, so weak that he's looking for someone, anyone, to lean on. Jesus felt alone. He felt abandoned. What could have been so frightening that merely the sight of it almost killed Jesus? He stood toe-to-toe with demons without flinching before. To Jesus, hurricane-force winds could be calmed like toddlers. Even the untimely death of his friends, which saddened Jesus, didn't frighten him. So what could frighten the Son of God? What could make him so afraid, so fearful? Actually, it's what Jesus hadn't seen that scared him. Throughout his life, whenever Jesus called out to his Father, 
The father answered him with warmth and tenderness, sometimes even affirming him publicly. This time, however, Jesus was met with silence. Three times in a row, he heard nothing from his father. More than that, he felt just rejected by his father. The fear was overwhelming. One thing I've learned about rejection is that the closer you are to someone, the more painful their rejection feels. Over the years, I have received my share of angry letters from people I've never met. They often say unkind things, but they seldom bother me because I don't have a relationship with them. If I were to get such a letter from my father, however, telling me that he was ashamed of me, that would be different. We are close, and I have lived for over 40 years now in the assurance of his love. Losing his affection would be unspeakably painful. If losing the love of my heavenly father would feel like that, what was, what was it like for Jesus to lose the love of his eternal father, which was perfect love. Luke tells us that Jesus was so crushed by his father's abandonment that he began to sweat great drops of blood. Luke 22:44. A condition doctors call hematridosis, in which the capillaries in your face burst from intense strain and fear. A friend of mine spent the day at the pool with his family. When they packed up their kids in the car to go home, he noticed that their three-year-old wasn't with them. He raced back to the pool and found his son lying unconscious at the bottom of the pool. He pulled him out, began CPR, and managed to revive him. They rushed the boy to the emergency room where he stayed overnight for observation. The following morning, my friend noticed dozens of small purple blotches like tiny bruises all over his son's face. The doctor explained that the most likely explanation was that as his son realized he was drowning, he had screamed so forcefully for his father that the capillaries burst in his face. In Gethsemane, we see Jesus, who spoke the worlds into existence, walked on top of angry waves, calmed the fiercest storms, cast out the vilest demons, healed the gravest diseases, and brought the dead back to life so horrified that his blood vessels burst. The pain of the father's abandonment was more than his physical heart could bear. Long before the nails passed Jesus' hands, the journey to the cross was underway. The father had begun to turn his face away. New Testament scholar William L. Lane describes this moment in Gethsemane as the horror, the fear, 
of one who lived wholly for the Father, who came to be with his Father for a brief interlude before his death, and found hell rather than heaven open before him. In that moment, God gave to Jesus a glimpse of what he was about to go through on the cross, where he would cry out in agony, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In this one moment, Jesus experienced a taste of hell for us. He did it for us. Because that's what hell is, total abandonment by God. No wonder the angels watched in stunned silence. No wonder they were faithful. Abandonment by God is not something we can possibly imagine. Nor will we ever have to as his sons and daughters. Jesus endured it for us so that we don't have to. You know, it's, I've been on this earth for quite a long time. And there are a lot of things that I am fearful of. And I know that you are too. We all have some sort of fear. And we have to admit that we do. But you know, sometimes I think that without that fear, knowing that we can turn to God any moment, any time, and he will help us to deal with the fear that we have in our lives, I pray that we will always remember to do that. Turn to Jesus. Turn to him. We don't have to live with the fears in our lives. We can come to Jesus, and he will take care of it. At this time, I just want to pray. So let's close our eyes. And so, Lord, as the song says, there's a song that I love very much, and it says, cover us with the peace of God. Cover us when we're hurting. Cover us when we are not strong, Lord. Cover us when we are going through the storm. Cover us when all seems hopeless. Cover us when our faith is gone. For only in you, Lord, are we safe and secure. Let's sing our closing song, number 551.